Anxiety, that's what I'm feeling right now. Very anxious. <laughs> the Bible says be anxious for nothing, see? Uh, or it says do not be anxious for nothing. And, and what I, the way I interpreted that is you're supposed to have something to be anxious for. So I'm, I'm not anxious for nothing. I'm anxious for something. <laughs> that's how some people interpret Scripture. Let's look at Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27. We're going to jump down to verse 30 to verse 32. And we're looking at a very highly anxious situation. And we're going to look at the adult in the room who stood up and showed us how to manage anxiety in relationships. Remember, anxiety is not a mechanism that God created for relationships. God created anxiety so when you're chased by a bear, you will flee from it. Or if you are feeling, uh, you had your Cheerios, you turn and, and you just defeat it. God created anxiety for the acute threats of life. God did not create anxiety and worry and fear for you to deal with stuff like your spouse leaving coffee cups around the house or not hanging up their clothes or getting, or somebody being 20 minutes late. God did not design anxiety for those kinds of normal everyday life experiences. And we're going to see today that something that was an acute threat, but the great, wonderful model of, 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 of health and peace and good mental health, emotional health is Apostle Paul. And he shows us how to do it. Acts 27, verse 30 through 32. In an attempt to escape from the boat, the sailors let the lifeboat down to the sea. They were in a storm. And some of the sailors, some of those who were stronger and more experienced, they let their lifeboats down to the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurions and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. Now, there were centurions and soldiers on this boat because there were prisoners that they were taking to Rome. Paul was one of the prisoners. Paul was not in the position to be the manager of anxiety, but because he was a man of God and because he had a right relationship with God and because, as we're going to see later today, because he understood the power of the cross because he understood the power of the cross, he became the calmer. He became the one who brought peace. You know what real leadership is? Real leadership is the ability to rise up and bring calm to situations where everybody is losing their minds. Amen? Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that helped the lifeboat and let it fall away. Today's message is call close. And we're going to have a conversation about anxiety and proximity. We talked about it last week. When we get anxious, we tend to distance ourselves from one another. What happened? The Patriots started losing two weeks ago. We all started drifting away, going home, going to bed. <laughs> An anxious response. We didn't want to be together. You saw what happened when you saw what happened to the team when they won. Saw what happened? They were loving each other. Oh, I love you, man. I love you, man. I love you, man. Because when the anxiety, when the tension is over, you just love everybody. But that's not 
that's not life. Life is full of stress and tension and anxiety. There, today's message is called close. There are real issues. Let me say this. There are real issues that make distancing, not connecting the right response. There are some real issues in life that make distancing because somebody's going to mishear this message. Somebody's going to invite somebody back into their life for a close relationship that you need to leave them alone. Let them stay away. Because it, the problem is not about anxiety. It's about a destruction that they will bring into your life. And so it may be your adult child who brought drugs and perversion when they lived in your basement. And you finally had to say, you can't live here anymore if you're going to behave like that. Don't go call them this afternoon and say, the pastor preached a message that I'm supposed to bring you back. I didn't say that. I'm not going to say that, <laughs> okay? In fact, Jesus said one time when he's talking about these, these jerks that were divorcing their wife for every reason under the sun, he said to them, stop it, except for fornication. There's always the exception. There's always that 2%, 5%. But you can't live your whole life in the exception. We're talking about 98% of your life and probably 98% of the people in your life that you need to learn to walk with them and stay with them through anxiety and through anxious times. In fact, your survival and your success is dependent on it. This is not about you just being a nice person. This is about you being effective and successful. This is about you getting to where you want to go in life. That managing your anxiety within groups of people is a key. That's my goal. My goal today is that the Holy Spirit will cut the ropes to your escape plans from your traveling companions. That you will learn to sit peacefully with one another when fight or flight response is raging inside of you. Remember what anxiety is? Anxiety is a fearful and panic response to a real or imagined threat. A power survival system designed for acute threats. The current beneath the river. What's on the surface may be all kinds of things. For some of you, it's anger. For some of you, it's expressing worry. For some of you, it's distancing and getting cold and aloof and wandering off. For some of you, it's argumentation. For others, it's all kinds of things. It, it can be even uh, going to your addiction, going to alcohol or pornography. All those kinds of things that we go to when we're anxious to calm ourselves, to self-medicate, as they say. The, the storm that happens to traveling companions is nothing to compared to the storm that happens in us. These storms happen. You get in storms in life, but the storms that happen in our relationships between us is much greater and much more harmful than the storm that's happening in the ocean that's battering your ship and the storm that happens inside of you. And learning to hold other people close when the boat is rocking is the key to everything in your life that matters. I mean that. I can't say that hard enough it, or strongly enough. It's the key to everything in your life. How many of you are thinking in some relationship right now about getting out because it's just not working? What does that mean? It's just not working. So off you go in your endless search for more perfect people to sell with. There's a better way. And that is to stay with the ship.
If you want your life to matter, you're going to have to find a fellowship and stay in it. A fellowship and stay in it. I'm not talking about staying on in aggression and turmoil, but staying on in love and joy and peace till you've reached your destination together. Here's just so you see this is a real story. I want to show you Paul's storm map. We're going to see a map of Paul's storm. You can see that everything started for Apostle Paul when he was arrested, basically for preaching the gospel, though it's more complicated than that. He was arrested in Jerusalem, and they put him on a ship bound for Rome. Now, for Paul, Rome was success. It was where God was going to take him so the gospel of Jesus Christ that you're enjoying today could fully go to the Gentile world. One of the reasons that you're sitting in the service this morning is because Paul survived a storm. And because he knew the dynamics of surviving a storm, he got to Rome at the end of it. But let's, let's back up a little bit. He goes, eventually they, get to, they go around Cyprus and they get to Lycia. And there at Lycia, Paul begins to hear from God. And he begins, it was wintertime, so it wasn't like a revelation that there were storms. But they were going to sail anyway. And so Paul began to warn his fellow travelers, his fellow companions. He began to warn the centurions and the soldiers and the sailors that, it, that there was going to be a storm and that there, would, there was going to be problems. And so they sail on from Lycia into Salmon, and then around to Fairhaven, and that's where they had a choice. That's where they could have stayed for the winter, but you can see where Fairhaven is. It's exposed to the Mediterranean Sea, so it wasn't the best place to, to spend the winter, so the sailors didn't want to. And Paul warned them at that point very strongly, if we leave Fairhaven, we, uh, this, this ship will be destroyed by the storm. In fact, Paul even said at that point, there will be loss of life. And they didn't listen. So you can see what happened as they got into the storm. Eventually, uh, to brace ahead a little bit, the ship was lost. But they weren't lost. And that's what matters. Nothing matters more than you. Nothing matters more than our friendship and our love and our relationship. This church blows up, fine. This building is, disappears, fine. All the stuff, the trappings that we have blows up, fine. What matters is us. What matters is that we stay together. What matters is that we accomplish the purpose of God for our life. Paul's godly wisdom was we need each other. Fight or flight is not the answer. Let's move close and help one another through this storm. Remember the toddler and the tiger? I love this. One of my favorite graphics in this pictures is this little child having a moment with a beast that could destroy them. Now, here's what you need to understand. When, when anxiety is high, now that tiger is not the devil. That tiger is not an image of Satan. That tiger is your spouse. That's your husband, or that's your wife. That might even be your two-year-old. That might be your toddler that's on the other side of the glass. It might be someone in your small group. It might someone be somebody you're doing ministry with. It might be a member of the staff. I won't call any names. 
It could be the pastor. But God has put in place a glass. God has put in place a grace that you can stay in proximity to people who are highly anxious. You can stay in close proximity to people who are very angry. You can stay in close proximity to people who are very upset if you understand that God is going to protect you, that God is going to take care of you. You don't have to, you don't have to fight fire with fire. You don't have to take gasoline to a fire. You can take cool water to a fire. You can be like that little toddler who's just being sweet and precious and kind in the face of people around you that are being highly anxious. When you get highly anxious, you get highly aggressive. You know that? When you get anxious, you get aggressive. And people who are introverted don't realize how aggressive they get. They don't realize how aggressive they get when they're anxious. Anxiety makes us aggressive. It's designed. Anxiety is not a sin. Don't pray that God will take away your ability to be anxious. Because you've been given anxiety just like you've been given physical hunger. And we know what physical hunger can do to us if we abuse food. And so we should know what anxiety can do for us if, if, if we abuse the fight or flight response. We know what it can do to us, but it can also save your life. So God's not going to take someone away from you that could save your life one day. But in fact, I'm going to show you, I'm really excited about where we're going with this. I want to show you how God, is not, he's not going to take your fight or flight response away, but he's going to show you how to redirect it so it will become a source of power. And it will become a source of strength instead of something that spoils your relationships, causes you to keep changing churches because you're looking the endless search for those perfect people that won't make you anxious or won't get anxious. And you, or you're going from you know, marriage relationship to marriage relationship looking for that perfect person who's not going to make you anxious. You don't have to live that way. Amen? What I really find interesting is how much, in a much more concise way, Philippians 4 tracks with Acts 27. Philippians 4, verse 2 says, I'm reading from the Message Bible, I urge Yudia and Syntyche to iron out their differences and make up. Now just think about that for a minute. Two women at the church in Philippi who are having some issues. And Paul doesn't even tell us what the issues are. He doesn't address the issues. He doesn't say, here's, here's what you need to do about that thing, or here's that thing. He just says, iron out your differences. Get along. Make up. God doesn't want his children holding grudges. And oh, yes, such yes, I guess it is, since you're right out there to help them work things out, help them work things out, not to determine who's right and who's wrong, but help them to work things out, do your best with them. These women work for the message hand work for the message hand in hand with Clement and me and with other veterans. Worked as hard as any of us. Remember their names are also in the book of life. Celebrate God all day. See, remember, there doesn't mean they're not Christians because they're fighting or not getting along. It doesn't mean they've left God, that they're good. Celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in him. Make it as clear as you can, all you that meet, that you're on their side, working with them and not against them. Help them see what's Paul doing. He's trying. He's saying, "Don't don't choose sides in the church. Don't one group be the Judeoites and the other group the Syntychites. Don't choose sides." In other words, put the relationship above what's right and who's right and who's wrong. They make it as clear as you can. 
Help them see that the master is about to arrive. He could show up any minute. Don't fret or worry. This is where the King James Bible says, be anxious for nothing. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, if you all get go add your anxiety to that conflict, it's going to get worse. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concern. Now, the word where he says, uh, be, uh, where, where he says earlier, back up in back up in verse two, he says, uh, uh, urge them to iron out their differences. I, well, the the uh, King James Bible says, be of the same mind, and that's the Greek word phroneo, which means to think toward. To think toward. So instead of thinking against someone, you think toward them. You're moving toward them. You're moving toward unity of, of spirit, unity in the faith. You're moving toward that. Because God knew. God knew that this was going to be hard. He knew that closeness is tested by anxious events. God knew that. God knew that our lives would be tested by anxious events. He actually recognized that the consequences of distancing ourselves from one another when it's anxious is greater than the consequences of me feeling discomfort. He recognized that. He recognized that to sit with someone who is in great anxiety and angst requires incredible strength, incredible love, and the wisdom to know that cutting people off is spiritual homicide. Remember the current on the river analogy. I wonder what anxious event happened at Philippi, though. I can't help but wonder what anxious event happened. I, I got a feeling that Yudia was, uh, she, I, she probably ran the church nursery, <laughs> right? And, uh, and they had put in this uh, new flooring in the nursery, and Synthica was always on the internet, Googling everything. And so she had discovered that some, somebody out there's research had discovered that the material that the floor was made out of in the nursery would cause cancer. And she got all amped up. The, her little children were crawling around on a floor that she read somewhere on the internet and we know if it's on the internet, it's true. She read somewhere on the internet that this material on the floor would cause cancer. And she could just imagine brain cancer already forming in her precious little uh, treasures that she dropped off every week. And so she goes to inform, and she, of course she's highly anxious. Her, 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 her words come out like an octave higher than normal. You know, her adrenaline, her adrenaline, she's, she's being attacked by a tiger. So her, her, her adrenaline is flowing, her cortisol is racing through her system. Uh, everything, you know, her, 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 her blood vessels are dilated and her, her blood had gone to, uh, to her head and she walks in and, and says, we've got to do something about this. What they, what the pastor and the elders have put on the floor in the nursery is going to cause our children to have cancer. Which, which is actually was, is true if, if you took that material and you put it in a blender and you drank it. That actually would cause you to have cancer. 
but actually on the floor. I'm telling you this event because this event actually happened many years ago. On the floor, it absolutely could not cause, you would have to grind it into powder and put it in a vaporizer. That might cause cancer. And of course, uh, anyway, Yudi, I believe I, I believe I had a Yudi in the nursery, but would I have her running the nursery? I think she stands, she's going to stand her ground. She's going to stand her ground. And Paul doesn't get involved in who's right and who's wrong and whether the person that researched the internet, he said, the problem here is you two people have lost your love for each other. The problem is you've let anxiety come between you. Uh, Many years ago, and a lot of you have heard, I, uh, Chris and Derek here. Where's Chris and Derek? You're here this morning. And Carissa used to always remind me when I would tell illustrations that I told it before. So th this is one you've heard before, Carissa. Uh, but a lot of, we got a lot of new people here. You know, turnover in churches is pretty radical. And so th that's, instead of changing pastors, we change congregations here every few years. <laughs> It's easier. I don't have to move. <laughs> and I can use the same illustrations that I used 20 years ago. <laughs> so uh, Sherry and I got, got ready. To, we decided to move to Florida many years ago. And uh, we packed up the truck to move to, to, move to Port St. Lucie, Florida. That was, in, uh, that was about 1985 or 86. And we pack up the truck, and my wife's father-in-law here said to me right before we left, take the Tappan Zee Bridge. Don't take the George Washington Bridge. Because we had a moving truck, and we had a car hooked on behind the truck. And I'm going down the road, and I get to where I see the opportunity to get on the, the bridge, to go to George Washington, take that route, and the traffic was just buzzing along. I'm thinking... I think he's wrong. And so I take the George Washington Bridge. And you know what happened. We get to the bridge, and it's just a parking lot. And um, Sherry and I begin to talk about this. <laughs> and we, we entered in to the biggest, we started the early stages of the biggest blame, shame storm uh, that I've just about ever been in in my life. And I was extremely defensive, in, and she was telling me uh, something like, uh, you should have listened to my dad. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, i got to fix this situation. I, I'm, I'm really still from Texas, and I'm still not really... I've lived here six years, but I hadn't gone to New York a lot. I still didn't get it, that you don't get off and find another route. But that's what I did. Now, this is like uh, uh, 10 o'clock in the morning or something at this time, and I get off. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get around this, because in Texas, that's what you, there are roads everywhere. I mean, you could find a way, and I'm, I'm going to get off this, and I'm going to get around this. And uh, no problem. I'll get back to the Tappan Zee Bridge. No problem. Uh, I don't know where all we went. I have no idea. We, we were in Harlem, I think, for a little while. <laughs> uh, and 
And the atmosphere in that cab of that truck got worse and worse. And we were not being kind to each other. And Jason and Christy, especially Jason was a pretty loud kid in those days. Christy was quieter. Jason was louder. Jason and Christy got totally quiet. They didn't make a sound. They were scared to death. Because Sherry and I were really going at each other. And, and I, I was in this tremendous shame storm in myself, just feeling like an idiot, but not wanting to just humble myself and say that. If I would have said that, that would have would have helped a lot of things. If I had just said, I am an idiot, and I am sorry. But I didn't. I, was, I stayed in defensive mode, fight or flight, and, and, and there wasn't any place to fly, so I fought. And, and it got so toxic in that cab with the truck for hours. And the, I, I don't know, a lot of things have been blocked out in my memory. <laughs> I have these huge gaps. But I remember being on Canal Street. I don't know how I got to Canal Street. I have no idea. I was at Canal, on Canal Street at 3.30 in the afternoon. And we would get through a traffic light and I learned that Hey Buddy is not uh, the same thing in New York as it is in Texas. <laughs> it's, a different, it's a different message. If somebody says Hey Buddy in Texas, it's good, isn't it? They said in, 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 uh, in, in Manhattan, it's not good. So I would get the truck through the intersection, the car would be sitting in front of the traffic light. And they don't like that in Manhattan. And... Uh, I don't know where it came from my heart, but I just knew from all of a sudden, I knew how wrong I was and how I had to do something because this wasn't productive. And I, I didn't say much. I just said, you know, Sherry, I think everything's going to be all right. That's all I said. And it literally it was like a wind came through the cab of that truck, a cool breeze. Everything settled down. I remember just kind of touching her hair a little bit. And that was, that was scary. <laughs> that was really scary. But you know, we, got through the, we went through the Lincoln Tunnel. My brother was waiting on us at the Newark airport. I didn't tell you that part. Because we were going to drop Sherry off and Christy, and they were going to fly. And me and Jay and Joe were going to get in the truck and drive it to Florida. And my brother, who's just one of those great people to go through a storm with, he's standing out, in, I remember driving the truck up to the airport, and he's standing out there with a great big grin on his face, just happy, not, oh, what's, what's been going on here? You know, not, I, this is, I can't believe it. I had to wait here all day. He did not inject, see, this is a key. He didn't inject any anxiety. We had enough. We had enough on our own. And just, from that moment out, everything began to click. And I remember Sherry, we talked the next day, and I don't know how it happened. She I put her in a hotel, and the next day, a knock comes on the door. We didn't even order it. This friendly guy in Newark, New Jersey, you don't really expect it, right? We brought her food into the room, and we didn't even order it. And it's just like this, everything became so beautiful. And we, amazingly, we didn't get a divorce. See, taking the wrong road was was a bad mistake, a big mistake. But it wasn't as detrimental as how our response to it was. That's what I'm trying to say today. 
We, we do three things. Let me give you this. We do three things when we get in an anxiety, blame, shame storm. One is we tend to attack one another using blame and shame to, to try to remove the pain of anxiety. Imagine these sailors who are, who are trying to get off this ship. They're like, why do we have to be responsible for all these people who can't swim? You read the text, these people couldn't, a lot of them couldn't swim. Why do we have to be responsible? And why, why, they, why should anybody be so stupid that they don't learn how to swim? Why did the captain make the decision to sail in the winter? Why, why is he so stupid? Or, or why am I so stupid that I came on this? You know why is almost always a distancing question? You know that? You want to add gasoline to, to an anxious situation? Just start out your question with why. Your wife calls up, honey, I like my keys in the car. Why'd you do that? Don't you hate that? Why'd you do that? Why don't you have a spare key? Why? Why? That's always an anxious response. You know what, what is a connecting response? I'm so sorry. How can I help? That feels completely different, doesn't it? Try this. Turn to your neighbor and go, why'd you do that? Just say that right to him right now. How, that, how does that feel? Now turn to them and say, in your most empathetic voice, say, I'm sorry. How can I help? Let me tell you something. Stop trying to fix one another with your words. Stop trying to use your words to fix people. Start using your words to connect with people. And the Holy Spirit will fix everybody. Start using the words to connect. So that's the first thing. The second thing we do is we tend to escape from one another to a place where there's relief from pain and anxiety. I just can't take it anymore. If I, if I can get away from these idiots on the ship, it'll be better. Do learn to do the anxiety pain dance what I call it. Learn to do the anxiety pain dance. Now, I, I don't dance, so uh, I, I, I don't know. I just don't. But, but, I, but I'm not against dancing. It's great. I know there's two, basically two types of dancing. Slow dancing and, and fast dancing. Slow dancing is music that doesn't have a lot of tension in it. Slow music doesn't have a lot of anxiety in it. And so you can really feel warm and close and dance close. Fast music or, or fast music has a lot of tension. But if you're having a good time with somebody, fast dancing can be great too, right? Because you're still staying in proximity. You're still responding to each other. So the anxiety pain dance is when the music is no longer soft and slow, the music is speeded up but you can keep dancing. You can keep engaging. You can keep connecting, even though you don't want to do close dancing because you might hurt somebody. You know what I'm saying? You might break a leg or something. So you want, you want to learn to stay close 
when it's tense and when it's difficult, it's so important to be there for that other person when it's difficult, when they're angry, when they're frustrated, when you're angry and frustrated, stay close. There's a third thing, though, that we do when we get anxious is we fuse together and become an anxious tribe. You know, here's what Yudia probably, or Sintaga, let's say she's the offended one because they didn't listen to her when she told them about the detrimental effects of this floor they had put in the nursery. So I imagine she went to somebody else in the church and said, I just need you to pray with me about something. <laughs> Some of you veterans, you know, you know that's, you know what that's about, right? You'll never believe what they did. You know, and, and that what happens to you if you go in and have a difficult meeting with a boss and the boss just acts like a jerk and you walk out of that office, you, you just can't wait to get to somebody else's office that you trust, that, that, that you know they're, even though they might disagree with you, they're not going to tell you. And you can go in and say, can you believe what the boss just said? I can't believe. Let me tell you what he just told me. Let me tell you about that. You'll never believe it. See, we move away from the tiger and we get involved with the rescuers and the gossipers and we form a tribe. Tribal love is a beautiful thing, but tribalism is destructive. And that's what's happening in our country right now. Our country right now, we're becoming anxious clumps of tribalism. And when we get involved in tribalism, the people in our tribe can do no wrong. And the people that are in the other tribe that threaten us can do no right. The people that are, are we feel, supporting us are, 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 are without sin. And the people on this, now, now we say things like, well, you, I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm not perfect. Let me give you a newsflash. There are no rumors going around that you are perfect. That, that, that just ain't happening. Nobody, nobody's ever accused you of being perfect. So you just don't need to inform us that you're not perfect. The word confuse, I say we fuse together. Confuse is from the Latin confusion, and it means mingling, mixing, blending. The fight or flight response naturally causes us to look for allies who huddle and fight with us. The sailors were a fear faction. They were a group of people who had fused together. So fusing and tribalism is the devastating response to a perceived threat. The tiger and those people that can do no right while our people can do no wrong. It's a very, very toxic thing. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, thank God, when he looked at Philippi and he looked at Judea and Syntyche, or when he was on that ship, he said, we are not going to divide. Nothing is going to divide us. We're, gonna, we're on the same team. We're not going to be separated. We're going to stick together because there's power in unity. There's power in harmony. And Satan and the devil and everything he does operates when there is division and when there is accusation and when there is aggression toward one another. But when we bind together, the Bible says, in, in, the, in the book of Psalms that there the Lord where there was unity among the brethren the Lord commanded a blessing he didn't command a blessing because one person was right and another person were wrong he commanded a blessing because they held on to each other and that's what God is saying today amen <laughs> closeness is the antidote 
to anxiety and anxious events, to sit with someone who is in great anxiety, especially when you disagree without losing your own peace, requires incredible strength, incredible love, and to the wisdom to know that neither emotionally distancing or emotionally getting swamped by another person's anxiety is going to be helpful. We must learn how to be a storm and a shelter for one another during anxious times. I need to be able to lose it around you. And have you not lose it too? Right? And have you not shame me for losing it? But to tell me, the little thing that I did, I think everything's going to be okay. This is hard because anxiety in others makes us feel inadequate. Anxiety in others makes us feel inadequate. Let me give you, here's, here's what we say. When someone keeps being anxious and they won't just stop it, here's what we say. What do you want me to do? It's not my fault. Well, just go find somebody else. Paul didn't do that. And the sailors who were trying to do that, he said, you, you stay on the ship. If you stay on the ship, the ship's going to be lost. But we're going to save everybody. We're going to save the little people. We're going to save the vulnerable people. And that's who gets saved. Ultimately, you know who gets saved when we do this right? The kids, our children. When we do this right, our children get saved. The weak and the vulnerable and the marginalized, the people out in that community, they don't even care what we're doing in here this morning. But they are hurting and they are broken. And we're not going to be there to reach them if we turn on each other. But if we stay unified and in harmony, we're going to be there for them on Monday morning and on Tuesday morning and on Wednesday morning. We're going to be there for them because we didn't let our pettiness, we didn't let our anxiety cause us to, to, to divide from one another. Amen? It's possible when we use our fight and flight response to fight our common adversary. See? Don't remove... Don't ask God. And let me tell you something. If you have panic attacks, uh, you are not going to go crazy from having panic attacks. You know that? People that go crazy lose touch with reality. People that go crazy lose touch with them. I mean, they think they're Napoleon and they've conquered the world. People that lose their minds. You're not going to lose your mind. Part of the reason you have panic attacks is because you're too in touch with reality. But you're not in touch enough with the reality of a great God, a powerful God. So fight the devil. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. The person sitting next to you is not the problem. The people on the staff with you are not the problem. We wrestle against flesh and blood. There's one enemy that's trying to destroy us all. We turn and we fight the devil and we fly to the presence of God. We have a prayer meeting. We don't go insane because we go to the throne room. Now I want you to hear an example of connecting versus distancing words. This is incredible. This is so incredible. I wish I had another hour to preach about it. Acts 27, verse 21. After the men had gone a long time without food, 
Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sell from Crete. Sounds like Paul's about to go down the wrong path, isn't it? Because some of us are good at saying that. Then you, sh then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. He's, he's treading on dangerous ground here, right? Wait, wait, wait. But now I encourage you to keep up your courage. Because not one of you will be lost. Yeah, you made a mistake, but you're not so great that your mistake can, can ruin everything. We like to say, well, you've ruined everything. You just blew it. No hope now because of your mistake. Paul said, oh yeah, you made a mistake. You made the wrong decision. But don't worry about it. Isn't that great? Come on, somebody, somebody just, isn't that fantastic? But that, that, that just blows my mind. I don't think I could have ever done this. I know I don't have the maturity to do what Paul did here. But now I urge you to keep up your courage. Only the ship will be destroyed. Man, we're going to lose, we're gonna lose the house. Don't worry. Last night, an angel of the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody, somebody just got to, I know this is not, we're not a real Pentecostal church, but somebody needs to shout right now. <laughs> Last night, an angel, the Lord of God, whose I am and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. Don't be anxious. You must stand proud before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God. Woo! That's what will get you through an anxiety, shame, blame storm. It's faith in God. I, I, I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Honestly, here's what I want to tell you. Honestly evaluate irresponsibility. It's okay. Without emotionally obsessing on it. Understand the Old Testament concept of scapegoating. Paul did not scapegoat. The Old Testament concept of scapegoating, they, scapegoating, they would lay their hands on a goat once a year. Once a year. Lay their hands on a goat on the Day of Atonement and they would send the goat into the woods. Now, the goat to them was, did not mean the greatest of all time. <laughs> the goat to them was a goat. And they would lay all the sins of the community on the goat, send the goat out, and the goat would bear the shame and the blame for the whole community. That goat is a type of Jesus Christ. And you must never, ever put the burden that we're supposed to put on Jesus on any other human being. You must hold people responsible, but you must never scapegoat. The problem with many families is they scapegoat. And sometimes the scapegoat removes from one member of a family to another. And sometimes it's one. Sometimes it's that rebellious child. The whole problems with his family. Sometimes it's a weak husband. Sometimes it's a a dominant husband or a dominant wife. That's the whole problem. We fix If we fix them, everything will be good. They're the reason we have all this turmoil. Don't do that. We're gonna get, well, let's finish this up. I'm going to show you how, what to do with it. Accept the futility of using blame and shame to survive the storm. You can't do it. Have faith in God that all will be well. Now, I want you to notice the last thing that Paul did. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. 
For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from your head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began, he broke it and began to eat. And they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. Uh, when daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Paul does an amazing thing that has both physical and spiritual dimensions. He said, let's have a meal together. But it wasn't just another lunch break. It was Holy Communion. He honored, this is incredible, he honored the scapegoat. God has laid on him. He honored the cross. He took communion in the middle of it. And he said, God has laid on him. By doing this act, he was turning their attention to Jesus, the one who takes all the blame and all the shame for why there was a storm and what we did wrong and we shouldn't have sailed and we shouldn't have done that and we shouldn't have done this. The one who takes all the blame for all of our sin, he put it on Jesus Christ. And what happened when daylight came, they saw a bay with a sandy beach. Storms won't last, but you will. If you will go through the storm with people, you'll get, a hang, you'll get to hang out with them on a sandy beach. Somebody say amen. Come on. If you will go through the storm with people, you'll get to hang out with them on a sandy beach. You'll get to vacation with them. But you got to go through the storm first. I said you got to go through the storm first. And you, t you think you loved each other before? Man, when you go through the war with somebody, you really love them. You just really love them. And that's what we're doing by the grace of God. Let's stand. Are you excited about the next storm? Are you just excited? Amen. Are you excited? I'm just excited about the next conflict. <laughs> Amen, Steve, because God's going to do something. Amen. God's going to bring us together. We have communion here. Communion stations in the back, communion in the front. Maybe you need to grab somebody by the hand and say, let's go eat together. Maybe you need to bring your spouse down here and y'all need to break bread and take all that blame and all that shaming and all that blaming and say, honey, let's put it all on Jesus. Let's put it all on Jesus. Let, let's trust God. Let's trust God and see what God could do with our situation. You, if you want, you can say, you really blew it, but it's okay. Let's go take communion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe some of the rest, you're going through situations all by yourself. You've distanced yourself from everybody because you feel such anxiety. Come down and take communion. Let, where's our prayer partners today? I need my prayer partners here today. These prayer partners are going to pray with you and help you to feel the presence of God. I'm going to pray. When I'm done praying, let's respond. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for everybody in this place today. I pray, God, that you will do a work in them. I pray, God, that you'll help us to get back in the ship, back connected with the people that you have ordained for us to walk with right now in relationship and in life.
and feel and know your wonderful presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Come and participate in response time. You have been listening to the Bethany Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at bccma.org. Thank you, and God bless.